This project is supported by a charitable donation from Pfizer Limited. Hello, I'm Victoria Derbyshire. I was 46 years old and getting on with my happy life. I didn't feel as though I had a care in the world. And then came breast cancer. This podcast, brought to you by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity, is for those of you who've experienced a moment like that and everyone in your life that's affected too. Your family, your friends, your work colleagues, the people who are caring for you, who hold you close, the people you lean on. It's a podcast for that moment and for what happens next. This episode is called Breast Cancer and My Community. And we're talking, amongst other things, about how a cancer diagnosis is tough enough without struggling with sometimes disinformation and prejudice from some of the people around you. I have three women who are going to introduce themselves to you, and they are all known for their plain speaking, which is another reason why they are very, very welcome on this podcast. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hi. Hi. So I'm Leanne Perrow. I'm a 35-year-old breast cancer survivor. Um, So I was diagnosed with breast cancer four years ago, just days before my 31st birthday. Um, and yeah, now I head up a charity called the Leanne Perrow Foundation, which houses the infamous Black Women Rising project aimed at empowering women of colour um, that are going through a cancer diagnosis. I'm Laura Mann. Thank you again for having us, me on no and us, these lovely ladies. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm Laura Mann. I am um, also a cancer survivor at the tender age of almost 36. Um, and I was diagnosed at 31 years old, so not too different from Leanne, really. Um, and I am the co-host of the BBC Five Live podcast, You, Me and the Big C, alongside Deb James and Steve Bland. And I also am the founder of Social Enterprise Girl Versus Cancer, which is a fundraising community uh, that kind of raises awareness of the community's needs and raises funds for smaller charities to go on doing the amazing work they do, including our lovely Leanne here. So, yeah, it's great to be on the pod with Leanne. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. And, um, yeah, so my name's Praveena Patel. Um, I was diagnosed at 36, a little bit older than Leanne and Lauren, um, and that was back in 2005. So since then, I've been in remission and, um, yeah, enjoying the benefits of... Um, good health since then and we love stories uh, like yours as well we we really do we love them yeah Uh, and and uh, as you know and I think you know um as as with anyone who gets a cancer diagnosis um it turns your world upside down swivels it around into a spinner and all sorts of things And, and that was also what happened with myself but it has also changed my world for the better in lots of ways which I hope to share with you today Now, the word community means so many different things to different people. If I say your community to you, Leanne, who do you Mm. think of? Well, first and foremost, I think about the community which I believe that I serve um, through my cancer awareness work, which is people of colour, which I found had a completely different experience going through cancer than our white counterparts. Um, So, yeah, that's what community means to me straight away and then on a wider scale it means 
for me, it's a huge thing that means everybody, everyone that's involved in the mechanisms of my program my, and my work that I do and everybody that's involved in the cancer community, really, mm-hmm. um, because we're all, well, most of us anyway, have, have one united aim, which is to raise more awareness and kick cancer's butt, mm-hmm. you know, and empower people whilst doing so. So that's ultimately the, the main aim. Lauren, if I say your community, who do you think of? You know, when I was diagnosed, I think what I was searching for was women like me. Like, I feel like there's, and what I mean by that is, you know, we have the teenage cancers and the child cancers. And, and when you get diagnosed, a lot of the materials are aimed at women are more, at a much more advanced life stage. I was a 31-year-old who just got her first managerial role, loved to party, loved to swear, drinks Prosecco, loves a bold lipstick. And I needed those women and I couldn't really find them so for me the when I think of the, my community those are the people instantly that I were look, went looking for and the people that I wanted to find but as a result that community is gr- doing that work that community has grown into mean so much more mm. it now encapsulates I think anyone who has the kind of similar mindset to me it doesn't really ma- matter about you know your ethnicity your age it doesn't matter about where your race your sexual alignment and gender like it's a mindset it's like we need to get through this. We're mm. going to swear about it. We're going to be really real and upfront and we're going to do things a bit differently. Mm. And um, like Leanne said, it, that encapsulates so many other things, not just the people in the cancer community, but like my oncology teams, the stakeholders, people on our podcast who are our guests, the lovely future dreams who have supported me from the minute we met. Um, it, it's much bigger now, but initially, yeah, th- that first instant who my community are, sweary mouthy cancer patients who get drunk sometimes maybe you get drunk sometimes yeah. we do like a drink you I need a wine when you get diagnosed it. guys i just knew it <laughs> um i guess for me initially started out uh in the, in the South Asian community, looking uh, towards sort of getting support and help from my own community, uh, the community centres and, you know, the, the groups that I used to belong to. But as I've started to do more and more work around patient education, about knowledge sharing um, and also looking into cancer research, that that community essence has really expanded. So from South Asian women of all colour, right, and, and talking to like, I'll give you an example of talking to one of my hairdressers who's Romanian, so, you know, white Caucasian and talking to her about some of the things and realize actually there's so much similarity that I didn't want to sort of uh, pigeonhole the community into this. It actually goes across all. And I think it's um, men, women of all color, race, whatever. So it's it's a bit much broader as I've got older and I've been doing more and more work. It's got much broader, that sense of community. When I think of my community, and I, I was thinking about this this morning, I, for me, it's actually my immediate family and, and busy mates, basically. Yeah. And then I think professionally, I've got the journalistic community. You know, there's a lot yeah. of solidarity there, particularly with women yeah. journos and yeah. particularly with journalists who, who, who have the same approach as I think I do, which is, I want to provide a space for people to tell their stories and I want to, I want to, you know, hold power to account. So I feel like I've got two different communities. Let me ask you, before you were diagnosed, did you ever talk about breast cancer or any kind of cancer actually with, with those people in your community? Definitely not for me. I, I didn't, not with the immediate community that I spoke about. No, within my family. Yes. Because my mum's had breast cancer twice before. And she had it even six months for the second time before me. 
So yes, cancer has been a conversation we've we've had in a family, but on a wider sense in the community, no. My mum was the only other person of colour that I kind of knew that had gone through breast cancer or cancer of any type. And she was quite young when she had it the first time. So yeah, it was a, definitely an alien subject. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. Like, I unfortunately, I have been up close and personal to cancer in in my family. We, you know, I always think in families like you have different things. Don't you? you get heart disease families or a diabetic uh, family? Ours is a cancer family. We have cancer in our family, but we don't have breast cancer. Ah, no one close to me died of breast cancer, um, and I or even had it. And like my mum had cervical cancer at the age of 26 so I was made aware of that um when I was a young adult but never saw it because I was so young I was five when she was diagnosed um and then I was yeah I was really close to my grandparents when they went through their cancer diagnosis and and you know but it's what you would expect isn't it it's it's people at at a more elderly life stage um when it the cancer comes for you so to speak and it was my friend's parents grandparents someone older at work it wasn't ever anyone in my immediate community no um so it wasn't a conversation we were having and I definitely wasn't self-examining I would say it's a similar sort of experience that I've had um you know brought up in quite a, a strict family where you know when I had my first period I was like shocked what is this? And I thought there was something seriously wrong with me, that it was an illness, because we'd never even discussed that. You know, my mother had never discussed that with me. Um, And then I think it was, uh, I'd already started my periods and six months later, it was part of our um, um, education at school, which I was like, now I really understand it better. So, you know, having having, um, these conversations at home was, was not going to happen. Yeah. Leanne, what did some people say to you when you were initially diagnosed? I think it's about what people said, but it was more about what they did. Like, for example, one of the first things that happened after I was diagnosed, and I've sort of told a very few people uh, that I thought were close friends um, to me, there was a lot of distance. You know, a lot of people distanced themselves. So what do you mean? What does that that look like? Just completely no contact anymore. They ghosted you? Um, So they've ghosted me yeah that's the word Why? completely ghosted some I have not even heard from and I'm not coming on four years on um to be honest I'm not too sure probably maybe upon reflection some of them like I said I've not even heard from since but maybe there was a bit of being scared around it cancer almost having this kind of thing in our community is equal in death you know the big c equals death rather than you're going to live and you're going to thrive after um But I think for me, you know, some of the things that were said to me, you know, my mum's mixed race, for example. So one of the things that was said to me, they said, oh, it must be the white gene because, you know, black people don't get cancer. That was something that was said. Hang on a minute. minute. Black people don't get cancer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Where does that come from? I think, you know, now I'm sort of three years into the work. I've now realised there's so much where it comes from but it's ancient and unhelpful myths and taboos that surround the black and asian culture um when it comes to chronic illness um you know that that there's something must be something religious reasons or you know it's a curse you know and and it's something to be shamed ashamed of 
And these are the things that keep coming back is the shame and you're to blame for your cancer. And it, they are very unhelpful and they are very, um, you know, these are myths and taboos that have, have passed through generations and generations. And, you know, that's why one of the reasons why my organisation exists, to eradicate that Praveena, and tell people I, that it's rubbish. Praveena, I could see you nodding in a vociferous agreement with what Liam is saying there. Go on. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I've had a very similar sort of experience uh, to you, Leanne, mm. unfortunately, you know, um, uh, and I say unfortunately because it shouldn't be happening. But um, yeah. yes, and it, it's this cultural and, and sometimes also rooted in religion as well. Uh, yes. These myths, and I do call them myths because we really need to do Same. the myth busting well, here. Tell, right? tell us about yeah. the myths and then you can bust them. <laughs> so the myth, you know, that you you, you get something like uh, something like cancer because you've sinned in your past life or yeah. you sinned in this life, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I always used to counteract that, you know, when we had discussions about it later on. Um, how do you explain a, a little child? They've they've not had yeah. the opportunity to sin. How do you explain that? You know, you yeah. can't do this. Um, but yeah, so I had a lot of that as well. I actually, um, I'd like to share something with you, uh, very personal, which is uh, when I was diagnosed, I told my immediate, like I was married at the time, my, my very close circle of friends, but I didn't tell my family about it. I kept it all to myself because I knew what their thoughts were. I knew how they think about these things. And what I wanted was absolute positivity to get through what I needed to get through on a daily mm -hmm. basis. I needed positivity to heal. And I didn't want to hear all those snide comments about, oh, she's a bad person or, um, you know, she must have sinned in her past life or she's sinned in this life. Um, and yeah, oh, she's, yeah, for whatever reasons. Um, so I didn't want to hear that. So I sort of almost cut myself off from the family and just focused on my very immediate family and my mm -hmm. friends to sort of support me through all of this. And, and they were fantastic. Um, Brilliant. This is what I keep hearing all the time. Women that are choosing to actively not tell their family members on my monthly support group, the amount of women that we are their support network and who they buddy up with through our support system that we have, that is their support network. They don't want people knowing about it because they know that they're going to hear really unhelpful things, which all that does is aid to, 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 to blaming, you know, feeling like you are to blame for this dreadful disease um, and it makes the journey 10 times harder and it's like I've asked the question is it harder to go through cancer alone or is it harder to hear those things and a lot of people have opted to say it's harder to hear those things rather than do it alone I'd rather do it alone and know that I'm I'm at peace with it you know and I found that really really sad I, f I found that really sad so that's why we try and pro to provide a support system for them and it's very sad you know it's it's really sad we recently had a lady that came on and I know she wouldn't mind me saying this but she told her sisters that she had cancer she's the youngest out of four sisters and the three sisters turned around and said this is too negative for us and our families we we need to step away and she came on our support group and she was in absolute floods of tears. But the great thing is that there was other women on there that that's happened to as well. So they were able to buddy up and talk about it. Sadly, great for them to have a support system in place and talk about it. But sadly, unfortunately, in our communities, this is what it does. Chronic illness pushes people away because of fear. 
you know, and I do think it's all governed by fear. And that's why we try um, and do as much work with, with wonderful charities as such as Future Dreams, actually, um, and Lauren's Girl versus Cancer to, to try and kind of debunk all of those myths and to try and shed a different light on cancer. Like, you can, you know, you can survive cancer. It doesn't mean the end. You know? I mean, the kind of work you do, Leanne, you do, Praveena, you do, Lauren, is is incredible in terms of getting information out there. But but, Leanne, if 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 people are choosing to remain silent with those family members, then how are the myths going to get busted? Well, this is the process, isn't it? I think it's all a process. I think we have to. That's why our work in the community is so important. That's why it's so important for me to join alliances with the bigger charities and do things such as talk like this. We have to find the people that are brave enough because it is brave when people of colour decide to speak out about cancer um, and to speak out about the different um, issues surrounding not speaking out, whether it is publicly because of the backlash that we may get or whether it's because in our communities we're going to get backlash for talking about these things so openly and freely which I've been a victim of both you know so we have to find those people who are brave enough to talk about it and that's what starts to debunk those myths and for people to start to realise that. Lauren you told us you were only 31 when you were diagnosed only 4% of women diagnosed with breast cancer each year are under the age of 39. How did the fact that you didn't know anyone of a similar age make you feel? It was so isolating. I was terrified because my experience of cancer was obviously I'd seen my, I knew that I was lucky and I, it's a weird word to say lucky that my mum had had it, even though it's a different type of cancer and had come through the other side because automatically that attitude of, well, no, this is a process we're getting through the other side of came from my mum instantly. She was like, they've said they think they can deal with this. So that's the road we're going down. And I was very privileged in that respect. But that was it. There were, I didn't. I knew one other girl. She was thirty when she was diagnosed with bowel cancer, and she's surviving it. She's good as gold. She's a mum of a gorgeous little girl. She's not very little now. I think she's like twelve. Mm. Um, but yeah, like she was the only person, and I actually credit her for the reason why girl vs cancer exists because I did not know what to expect from chemo. I was going through all of these different emotions about my diagnosis. I was scared. I had questions, and obviously, your family and your friends want to protect you, so you'll go to them with your fears and your worries, but they very quickly problem solve and try to shut them down because that's what you do to the people you love. You make it better, but they can't make this better. They can't. They just cannot do that. So you want to be able to be scared, openly vulnerable, but without feeling, you know, weak. You want to be able to be vulnerable and open, but feeling supported in that. And she was the only person who could provide that for me, having been through it herself. Mm. Um, So, and again, she... She used to say to me, this is bowel cancer, though. I don't know about breast. I don't know how this works. I knew that mine had a, was aggressive and it was growing. It was hormonally driven. She wasn't, like, made infertile. There's all these different elements. So, you know, it was really isolating because there was so much about cancer that I had no idea happens behind the scenes. No one told me you, you lose your nose hair in chemo and that what you turn your head and someone gets slapped in the face with a bit of snot. It's not attractive. <laughs> no one told me to carry a handkerchief. But it's all these things that I tell people now and yeah. like words of wisdom that I can impart on people in yeah. our communities who, you know, they'll be like, I've got my last chemo. And I'm always like, but babe, think of this. This is the last time you're ever going to yeah. feel this horrible. Absolutely. This is the last time you're ever going to feel like this. Yeah. And mm. it gives you what you need to get to the end of that. Yeah. 
you need people to tell you those things. Laura and I mm. kept my nose hair. How weird did is you? Yeah. Did you two keep your nose hair? Else, but, but I, I kept did, my yeah. nose hair. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. I'd have nose hair. Mine completely oh, went. I that, lost my that, nose hair, my eyebrows. That is the first time I've heard of anyone losing their nose hair. Oh my god! I've, a couple of people have said it to me. Or oh, maybe I'm in the maybe I'm the four percent no. again. Lauren, you're not in the minority. <laughs> I also lost every oh single god. every single hair. Every everywhere. Yeah. That so, was one thing oh. I also got told. There's a wonderful woman called Alice May Perkis who um, is a Copperfield uh, trustee mm. and is just a phenomenal woman. And she was one of the first people who spoke to me when I said on social media, I have breast cancer. And she outreached me. She said, it's very, very brave what you've done. Um, You're not alone. There's a lot of us out here. And she went, if you've got any questions, then just come to me. She was a soundboard for me for for most of my treatment. And I'm so grateful to her for that. Because obviously, when someone shares their experience with you, they're reliving it. And it it can be quite triggering and quite heavy. Um, As well, I think we all know, having spoken about it constantly in our respective communities um, and with each other. But she said to me, she went, you know what, Lauren? She went, all I'm going to say is this smooth and then this chemo smooth. And now I know exactly what she's <laughs> I felt yeah. like a dolphin for yeah. that month. And I, I have to say, when I put out on Twitter that I had uh, had been diagnosed and I was going to be having a mastectomy, the, 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 the kind of overwhelming support from women who had also had a diagnosis, and men, actually, um, mm. was just wonderful i mean it really really helped it really did whether you are back at work traveling or planning your wardrobe for a special occasion take time to express yourself through your clothes none of us want to be stereotyped we are all individuals and the designers at marina rinaldi create collections that can help you step away from the everyday to the new you. Praveena, when Lauren was talking about feeling isolated, you were nodding in agreement. Tell, tell me how you felt when you were diagnosed. So um, if, you, if you can imagine the amount of resources that you had available to you, at, um, which was only a few years ago when you were diagnosed. I was diagnosed back in 2005 and lots of groundbreaking treatment things happening. However, you know, in terms of resources, there was even less available to me. And um, uh, one of the charities that I did get in touch with, I went to one of their weekend workshops to, to sort of, and I just found everybody was so much older, women with breast cancer and, and cervical and ovarian. However, they were so much older than me. And so, Lauren, when you were saying that, I, I would have thought, oh, God, I really resonate with that because I just didn't meet anybody that was sort of below the age of 40. They were all 50 plus. And, and I kind of felt a little bit of a disconnect. Um, I sometimes felt I couldn't relate to them. Um, yeah, so I was, I was on search to find somebody of a similar age group to try and, and to mm. sort of see what their experiences were. And I think when you, um, from my research that I found, when you when you get sort of breast cancer at an earlier age, it tends to be very aggressive as well. Um, not always, but it can be. Um, and a lot of the women that I met during that weekend workshop were, um, you know, had managed to catch it early. Thank goodness they managed to catch it early and were being treated, but weren't going through chemo. And, you know, the aggressive chemo that I went through and I was like, I just don't know who to ask for support here. So, yeah, I totally relate to you in that feeling of isolation. And also because I had 
chosen and it was my choice completely to not sort of involve family and other people it was a very very tight circle mm. of people that I could talk to um have so, you yeah have you come across examples of women who because of cultural reasons have ended up being treated too late I definitely have come across lots of examples of that. And, and that really does sadden me to say that, that it, there are lots of examples of that. Um, and if you think back when I just said earlier on about that, even in my family, we couldn't even talk about periods, mm. something simple as, as periods. And and that happens across a lot of cultures. Um, and if I can just be specific about the South Asian culture, and I know that this relates to other cultures as well, um, this whole feeling of being shy and uh, embarrassed to go to the doctors to 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 have a um, a self exam or a breast examination. First of all, uh, when I sort of talk in community centres, I find that uh, a lot of women sort of saying, "Well, you know, it's forbidden in our religion to masturbate, and therefore touching yourself and touching your breasts is is like a form of masturbation." And like, mm-hmm. and I'm ch- that's one of the myths that I need to that we all need to debunk, right? That there's a, it's not sexualized by sort of doing yourself checks whether that's for you know testicular cancer or breast cancer it's you're not sexualizing it right it you could take that separation away um and because of that they don't do the self-checks and therefore present much later on mm. in their sort of disease um and so if, and if, if, also, if sorry to interrupt Praveen, so that means okay. if fewer women come forward earlier so they've left it perhaps too late for treatment they die which then fuels the stigma again it's a vicious circle, isn't it? Look, cancer equals yeah. death, so I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to yeah. deal with it. Yeah, deal with it. Um, pray, pray to get better because yeah. it's, it's almost like it's an inevitable. Yeah. You know, they hear the cancer word and it's equated to death. Um, even though, you know, in, for example, in breast cancer, so many fantastic strides have been made in research. And when we look at the mortality rate, that is declining and, and rightfully so. Um, you know, when you see that that drop year on year, it's so heartening to see that treatment is working. But that's the part about early diagnosis. Of as course, well. it is. Um, there's some research from King's College London. It's actually from 2013, but it's it's the most recent I could find that suggests Black and South Asian people in England are less aware of the warning signs of cancer than white people. Black and South Asian groups are four times less likely to recognise an unexpected lump or swelling as a possible warning of cancer. Yeah. Lauren, when you, sorry, not Lauren, Leanne, when you said, people said to you, it must be the white gene, or you're to blame, or black people don't get cancer, how did that make you feel? Isolated, exactly what um, Lauren and Pavina have said, it's isolation, it was a very, very lonely time, but most of all, that I was to blame for my cancer. And that's taking me years and years of recovery and therapy to try and get rid of that blame. That how the hell at 30 years old was I diagnosed with cancer? You know, there must be something wrong with me. One of the main things that has helped me with that was reaching out and meeting so many other women in my community, not just in my community, meeting amazing friends like Lauren and other people that have had it as well at a young age, but meeting people within my community because that sticks with you. If someone tells you that, you know, as a black woman, the young black woman, you're the only young black person I've seen with breast cancer, there's something wrong with you. I've run a business for 20 years, so it was like, oh, my God, 
it must be that you stressed yourself out too much you work too hard this kind of constant blame that sticks with you so meeting the other women and hearing their stories of the same thing um yeah it's 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 helped me but it's you can see how devastating the long-term effects of this can you know and this is something i'm really passionate about talking about is the long term effects after survivorship is is, is difficult yeah. to kind of heal away from those things that you're told. I want to ask you all about the moment, the moment when you were told you had cancer. Lauren, how would you describe that? I always describe it as, you know, when you go to a, f- a funfair or theme park and you've got that ride that shoots you up on a tower and then lets you go. That is what the closest thing I can describe that moment, that physical moment, and, like, everything is, like, you can't quite hear or touch. It's, like, almost being, like, underwater. Um, It's pure shock. I've never, ever felt a shock like it in my life. Um, And the numbness that followed, I just kind of sat there in disbelief. Um, But it's also weird for me as well because I knew on some level that it was coming because of the initial breast check and the biopsy and the way the consultant was with me. They didn't tell me, but they said the way they acted. And yeah, obviously yeah. no one believed me when I said, I think I have cancer. They were like, no, yeah. no, you're just panicking. As someone who has had health anxiety their whole life, not too far from the truth, but I knew mm-hmm. to the point yeah. where when they called my name, I was actually in the hospital with my brother and my mum because I think my mum didn't want to believe it. So my brother had offered to come to the hospital with me and it was only the day before that my mum went, hang on a minute, I better go just in case. And thank heavens she did. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they called my name... And we got up. I literally went to my brother, you stay here. It's like yeah. that big sister, sixth sense yeah. was like, you're, you're not yeah. being in the room when, to hear those yeah. words. I oh. didn't want him in that room. I didn't want him to have that scar. Um, and, and like, you know, he's a grown man. He was like in his mid-20s, but still it, it's my baby brother. Yeah. And even my mum, my mum then, when, when they said the words, and my mum called my brother, did the very Irish mum thing, even though she's like full-blooded Irish, but London accent, she went, went out the door, opened the door, went down the corridor. She went, Ryan, come here. Like, mouthed it and said it. And I was like, Mama, come on, Tina. Um, so my brother then came in. But then it's that weird moment because, like, like I'm guessing all of us, I had no idea about cancer. They told me it was straight, um, it was grade three. I heard stage three. Right. So, like, I was like, Lauren, can, and I thought ex- stage three was the last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we explain the difference between grade and stage? Because on this podcast, I want to speak yeah. in totally plain English and I don't want to exclude yeah. anybody. And that kind of language we get really used to, don't we? What is the difference yeah. between stage and grade the grade of your tumor is the speed at which it's growing the size of it what the cells are made up of some um, tumors are a higher grade because they're growing at a more aggressive rate still often find with breast cancers they tend to be a higher grade tumor because mm. of the fast dividing cells are hormonally driven and you or can have grade one grade two grade three grade three is the, is the, 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 the swiftest growing one yeah. yeah um and then also with stages so stages means like it can it can relate to the size of a tumour as well, but it also relates to if it has spread anywhere, where it is in the body. Um, so, you know, when stage I heard grade early, three... Stage four yeah, sta- means it's spread. It's it spread. Stage four, there's no stage five, and stage mm. four means that the cancer becomes, at the, at the moment, because I live in hope, but the cancer is incurable, but it does mean that you can live with it for a long, long time. And I think people... You know, we need to change a lot of the language around yeah, um, stage four. Yeah. Because um, yeah. you live with cancer. You're not waiting yeah. for it yeah. to happen for you. You're living a happy, healthy 
as much as you can life um so yes. yeah but again that was my impact because i didn't know cancer like i know it now mm. um it's not a thing i would want to know like i do but i do mm. and and i i just automatically thought the worst and the first thing mm. i said was i don't want to die that was the mm. first thing i said that was the first and, thing you know, i thought yeah first thing i said and i think you'd be hard pushed to find anyone who goes into that room and doesn't think or say that the first words i said again like you lauren i knew it was coming i just knew mm. um and the first the first genuine the first words i spoke were just questions i had a million questions and then got outside of the gp with my partner in glorious sunshine in the middle of london you know one hot summer in 2015 and cried obviously and just yeah. said fucking hell yeah those are my yeah. proper first words yeah. um yeah so it's quite similar actually me and lauren's never spoken about this but it was very similar to lauren no one believed me i knew i had it funnily enough a week before that when i went for all those scans and stuff they gave me a leaflet saying you've just been diagnosed with breast cancer so when i said to them but i've got i've been told the results are in seven days and she said what did they tell you in there and i was like I don't know, but now you've given me this leaflet saying I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. So for a whole week, I had to basically shit myself thinking like, what the hell is going on? And everyone said, no, you ain't got it. Don't be stupid, blah, blah, blah. Didn't take my mum because obviously six months before that, she had just had a diagnosis and she'd only just recovered. Um, so I ended up taking my younger brother and my best friend and... When I noticed in the waiting room, I was left till last and we were waiting there for about an hour and a half. And by that time, I was feeling sick and nervous. And I'll never forget the woman, my mum's consultant, called me in. And I knew because I know she does results only and it's usually the bad results. So she called me in and I wanted to turn, I think I did, I turned around to say don't bother to come in. But again, it's all a bit blurry, but I walked in and she said, I'll never forget these words, by the way. She said, I'm not going to beat around the bush, Leanne. We've been here before, haven't we? She was like, we found cancer. Those were her exact words. And I just was like, oh my God. My best friend was sitting there going, like that with her hand on her chest. My brother was like that. Um, And then they just... Yeah. give you all of this information didn't mm. they and I was just numb and then they went oh can you go and take a, um, a a blood test for us because we've got to get you into some MRI scans next week and I'll never forget and I know this is going to sound like crazy but it was so unhelpful I remember they they could see how shocked I was and they took me into another room and I didn't take all the information they were telling me and the woman said I can see that you're really shocked. It's, and she said, it's quite a normal reaction, but I can see that you're really shocked and I'm a bit worried to let you leave without, you know, doing a bit of an assessment with you. <laughs> I said, what? So I was like, what do you mean? And she held up a piece of paper and it had number one to ten. And she said, can you point on this piece of paper to show me how much and how you feel right now and like number 10 was like anxiety number one was like great and I went 10 and I got up and walked out I've got to I've like, got to 10. say though Lauren is a better older sister than you because you brought your brother into that room with you whereas Lauren oh, protected God. her yes. yeah. um, and you know something it's so funny because um, as soon as we left I actually told him as well you, you tell everybody because I'm not telling anybody 
Yeah. So my brother he, he ended same. up actually stepping stepped stepping up to the market. Yeah, so that's good. yeah, my brother did the same. My brother became my social secretary very quickly. Yeah. And him and my mum had to make a lot of calls and reply yeah. to a lot of messages. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I'll move you there, Lee. Yeah. I think also like you two, um I, I knew what it was. I I do work in the medical profession and when I found the lump, uh you kind of think, Oh, maybe a cyst. Oh, you know, let's hope it's a cyst. Next morning in the shower, I was checking my lymph nodes and I knew, then I really knew deep buried, they were really swollen. And I was like, oh, crikey. And I think I yeah. Yeah, did say a few swear words in the shower because then I just knew what it was. And then going to the GP and they're going, oh, no, it's probably just a cyst. No, it's probably nothing sinister, Praveena. And I was like, no, no, I'm telling you, my lymph nodes are up. Mate, I'm telling you, listen to me. Like, no, 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 no. When's the next appointment? Oh, you'll you'll get something within the next eight to ten weeks. I was like, what? Eight to ten weeks? I know what it is. Can you get me in sooner? So I really pressurized them to get me in that week, and they really did. And that, and you know, and and they're doing the ultrasound, and I could see this big black void on the screen, and I'm like, yeah, I. I am trained to do that, so I kind of know what that is. I'm like, okay, oh, let's just let's be positive. So let's be positive, you know. And as you said, walking into that room, no matter how much I tried to prepare myself in the intervening two weeks, um, nothing prepares you. Nothing, nothing prepares you for that moment when you get that confirmation. Even though in your heart of hearts you know what it is, that moment they actually utter those words, it's cancer. Your, your whole world, you're everything the bottom just falls out right um I just went completely numb couldn't speak a word my husband had lots of questions because we prepared them before he was asking away I couldn't hear anything so that feeling Lauren you were saying about like you're drowning there's water around you I couldn't hear anything and it's a similar sort of experience but yeah at the beginning you each talked about how you defined your community now post-cancer has has that community changed has it got bigger? Has it got smaller? What would you say, Lauren? I, it, it's that weird thing. I, they become, the community actually, before I got sick, I didn't need the cancer community the way I did. My community was, as you said, Victoria, you said about being your family and your friends. Now, the friends that I've made in cancer, like Leanne been a really good friend of mine, like outside of cancer, we're friends mm. now. I've built really good friendships with people that get that side but don't see me as that person um and that has been invaluable to me because you know we I think we all know that once you've had a cancer diagnosis you never don't feel like a cancer patient you always feel that I have to stop myself in my tracks saying my cancer like I still have it I have to really make an effort because I'm so used to talking about my cancer experience um so I do feel like my community is is those people that have I've met throughout my experiences and kind of We've clicked, and they're mm. they're my people, and yeah. they're my friends. You found you actually oh. did like them. Put the cancer to yeah, one side. I mean, you really like the ants. Yeah, <laughs> they weren't hanging around like a cancer. I wanted them there. <laughs> um, but also, as well, I think I don't know. Cancer does this wonderful thing where it opens you up to the world in ways you don't expect, and and you know that I don't think like I'll ever feel like anyone with who is diagnosed with cancer isn't one of mine. Like I just feel like as soon as I know someone's been through it, I'm like I see you. It's like you've got this invisible like harry potter scar on your head that flashes up sometimes like you just know Mm. when someone's been through something you have so you know my my community has altered in that as like leanne mentioned there's friends that i've kind of lost um or kind of been more distant along the way Mm. because 
they have their own stuff that I'm not really willing to carry. Like, I, if you can't handle it, then I need you to move aside because I need the, I need the people who can. Mm. Um, and yeah, I've just I feel like what I've done is not muck about when it comes to friendships. I feel like the people that are in my life now are very carefully curated brunch. I know where to put my energies. I have the best friends I could ever ask for in the world, and I don't think I was like that before I got ill. Mm. I think there was a lot of acquaintances and party powers, and I think now I've got real solid things and also really proud to have the relationships I do with charities like Future Dreams with key stakeholders in in cancer world and in the media that I'm able to use my platform for a good um so I see them as my community anyone who's championed what we're doing is is a is a part of my community too Leanne has anyone in your community ever said to you now I'm sorry Leanne I was wrong I got it wrong I've had a few yeah I had a few people say that to me just say sorry I went distant because you know I was scared and didn't know enough about it a lot of them no never heard from again you know but what about the people who said oh it must be the white gene or hang on black people don't get cancer no that's that's their ignorance you know I I believe that you've just got some people as we see every day people have the their belief system. I think people are learning a lot by the work that I'm doing. Well, that's that's what I um, wanted to check with yeah, you. Is, there there must, is, is there some progress? Yeah, absolutely, right. there is a lot of progress. But still you know? loads and more to me, do from the sound of things. There's, there's still so much more to do and only this COVID situation has taken us 10 steps back. Mm. But there has been progress and I, and I measure that by the amount of people we have on our online support groups every month but also mainly the young girls that message me and say thanks to you I checked my breasts and unfortunately I've been diagnosed with breast cancer and they're 22, 23 years old but it's like but because I'm seeing you and I'm seeing you thrive I know I can do this and I know I can beat it so for me when I hear that from young women and women alike and you know the communities that I'm serving that shows me that there's been progress because I kind of needed an organization like my own when I was going through it and I didn't have it so what they have said is um when they were distancing themselves uh, because I experienced some of that as well uh, with some members of the family as well as some friends um they have come back and sort of said I just didn't know how to handle it um, yeah. In my family, uh, my immediate family, I'm, I'm the eldest child and um, had, had been very independent and I was considered to be the black sheep in the family anyway, in my wider family circle, because I always was very independent. I knew what I wanted to do with my life and my, my parents were so supportive of that, whereas my uh, peers at the time were getting married at 16, 17 through arranged marriages. I was like, damn well I'm not doing that I want to do this this and this I want to do education I want to live my own life and so that was considered the black sheep so when they did get to find out about um, my cancer diagnosis and what I was going through they were oh but you you've always been the wayward one you know we don't need to support you in any way and then they've now come back and said actually because they've heard me talk uh be that you know news articles or anything where I have talked about it a bit more openly and even in family gatherings I'm not shy now to talk about these things I'll happily open up the conversation to to get interaction um and people talking about it really that's the whole aim and they sort of say oh we hadn't realized and and not sorry but we just hadn't realized and and that's good enough for me I think that's good enough if if they can just have a, a slight change in their thought process that's that's we're making a step forward and that's what we want so well that's very magnanimous of you you know uh, Leanne you were talking earlier about um just having the effect about because you talk about things people are now sort of saying I've done the self-check and I've actually found a lump you know that was one of my 
very first experiences that I had when I shared my um, my cancer diagnosis with a, a colleague, a close colleague of mine, a friend. Yeah. And um, she sort of held my hand that evening over dinner. And I told her and she was very upset. She went home, told, phoned her mum and said, oh, you know, my friend Praveena, blah, blah. She's just been diagnosed. And her mum said, oh, how did she find out? And she said, oh, she did the breast exam. She goes, oh, how do you do that? So then she sort of talked her mum through it. Her mum checked herself the next day and found a lump. Wow. And treated and in, and is still with us today. You know, so it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but that that incident, that one incident really yeah. changed the way I thought about a lot of things about yeah. sharing my experience. And this is why I guess what we all do, right, is mm-hmm. if you can affect that one person getting that early diagnosis, surviving it and having a positive experience in life because of it. I just think, yeah, that one incident changed my life almost uh, forever. Absolutely. Ladies, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you being so frank and honest and a little bit sweary. I do. (laughs) I'm like you, Lauren. I do like that. I've got to admit. Because it's just normal, isn't it? Um, Yes. Thank you, all of you. Thank you very Thank you. much, uh, Laura, Liam, and Pravina. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, you can get in touch with me at any time about anything uh, you feel we should talk about on this podcast. It's at Vic Derbyshire on Instagram and Twitter. And for more information and support for anything to do with breast cancer, please do go to the Future Dreams website. And then came Breast Cancer is a Factory Originals and Six Foot Six production. <laughs> Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity hopes you found this podcast helpful. We fund awareness, support and research. If you would like to help us do more, please text We Care to 7500 to make a £5 donation or visit our website at futuredreams.org.uk forward slash donate. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity will receive 100% of your donation. Text costs your donation plus one standard rate text message, UK only always get the bill payer's permission. We would like to contact you on your mobile phone with news and updates. If you would rather opt out, then please add no info to the end of your message. For example, we care, no info. Thank you again for listening.